0: Okay, today's guest is one of the most relentless, toughest and talented footballers we've ever seen in our great game. He was part of Hawthorne's successful sides in the 80s and early 90s, winning five premierships and two Norm Smith medals. Not only was his reading of the play and ability to handle pressure useful on the field, he then used his incredible skills to coach over 200 senior games at Geelong and Adelaide in the AFL, and he's coming up to his 250th in charge of Port Melbourne in the VFL. He's won two flags with a brilliant winning record at the borough, and we're sure it's set to get even better. Alan Jean said he was a great driver in heavy traffic, but I like to describe him as a great driver of heavy traffic because every time he speaks, people flock to hang off every word he says. It's my great privilege and pleasure to welcome Mr. Gary Ayres. How are you, Gaz? Oh, well,
1: James, well, mate, that's a very, very kind introduction, so maybe we just leave the podcast at that, eh? So we don't have to add any more, (laughs) mate.
0: No, you've got plenty to add, mate, plenty to add. I wanted to ask you a tough one first, though, Gary. How does it feel to see so many mullets back in fashion? You must be pretty proud of that.
1: (laughs) Oh, very, very proud, James. I never actually thought it would ever make a reintroduction (laughs) after, after all those years and As you would know, some of the boys, I think, used to wear them pretty well, but some of them were quite outrageous, and now some of the ones that the boys are rocking with, it certainly does warm the cockles of your heart, (laughs) as they would say, so... What's old is new again, mate, so yeah. glad to see that the growth and the length is back again.
0: Exactly, and you're the man behind it, so it's good to see. <laughs> hey, h- how was it to be back coaching footy for points after I think it was a 573-day wait? How was it to be back on the weekend?
1: Yeah, look, it was great to finally have some meaningful game that was in relation to the new competition, the changes, and obviously the length of time, as you said, and. Look, the result didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, but it is only round one. So there was a fair bit of, I think, expectation and certainly excitement. And we're obviously fully aware of what the new competition brings and being part of a a 22-team competition now and still being one of, I guess, what we would like to think as the VFL Powerhouse teams and we can't wait for obviously what's going to be ahead of us so we we need to be better there's no doubt about that but again when you think about a couple of false starts last year then the season was a ride off and then we really didn't introduce the boys back to much until probably early December and that was only a couple of nights a week then we had a break for Christmas and then we got back in the end of January so as long as we can improve our injury list, James, I'll be very, very happy and start playing some good footy. But, yeah, no, nah, great to have footy back. You realise what you've missed when you haven't had it for a long time.
0: Yeah, that's it. And you've got Sandy this week, I think, and I'm uh, um, I'm tipping you to get the win there, so I'll be watching. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about the anti- anti-density rules because they were a hot topic a, f- a few weeks ago when uh, some of the AFL coaches saw them in pracky matches. They've been tweaked a bit now. I think it's only the two players in the 50 per team the throw-in and kick-ins. How have you found that, the rule?
1: Yeah, we had the, the first game on the weekend, as we discussed, with the anti-density rules, and I must admit, there was a couple of boys from uh, both sides, Astley and Port Melbourne, who got a little bit fatigued and then forgot, the and yeah. of course they <laughs> were obviously the umpires adjudicated that there were infringements and subsequently free kicks, so we got a couple, and they got a couple, and Unfortunately, a couple of those resulted in goals at uh, pretty inappropriate times, mate. Mm -hmm. So I think it says a little bit about what the boys need to get used to. And no doubt, they've only got a certain amount of time. I think it's 12 seconds from when a boundary throw in, as in the boundary umpire blows the whistle. And our boys, as I said, when it was getting pretty hot up there at uh, Astley on Saturday, I think they got a little bit fatigued mentally You've got to be right on the ball because the umpires are not given you any leeway at all. So I found them okay. Defensively, we were pretty ordinary, mate. Like, actually kicked team goals in the first quarter, so our defensive mechanisms weren't great. Mm-hmm. And they ended up scoring 20 goals for the game. So it says a little bit about, I think, what they were doing and what we weren't doing in relation to offence and defence. But I think overall, only having seen it for one game, going to be pretty important that players remember that they have to do it, otherwise it could be a costly infringement and you don't want to be losing a game because you've forgotten or you're fatigued and, of course, the result, as we know, is pretty important to try and get that four points.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey, you've had an incredible um, career at Port Melbourne, so I think this is your 14th season now. You've won two flags. You nearly get your 250th game in charge. Unbelievable winning record. Was, the, was that undefeated season in 2011, was that your highlight at the borough? You know, people said it couldn't happen, a standalone club couldn't win a flag and you went, and, <laughs> went out and smashed them, didn't get beaten, you had the perfect season.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly say that's one of our greatest accomplishments because, as you quite rightly pointed out, there was a lot of noise outside the footy club anyway that mm-hmm. a standalone VFL team could not win a cocktail competition premiership in Obviously, a competition that we probably think with AFL alignments and um, certainly clubs that are fully aligned, it would be extremely difficult. But we set it on a journey, if you like, way back in 2008. We recruited, I believe, really well up over a period of probably three years running into that 2011 season. And we just set about doing what we thought we were capable of and, that was winning enough games to make the final, then trying to finish as high as we could. Top four gives you a double chance. And then, of course, it was the case of hopefully qualifying for the grand final. And we had a wonderful run with injury. We had our best players available quite often throughout the course of the year. We had some amazing efforts from some amazingly talented players, winning maybe the scores were a little bit tight at different stages, but they were to step up and lead the rest of the group, and then, as you said, mate, it all came together mm-hmm. against our archenemy uh, in Williamstown, and they got off to a fire, and from quarter time on, we actually ended up picking 20 goals, and they ended up scoring seven, I believe, from memory, so mm-hmm. it was a wonderful achievement, even the 217 one, when you think back yeah. to that, we were um, horribly in debt, we... Had said about making some changes financially, and of course, at the end of the season, we won a wonderful premiership there against uh, Richmond, who at the time their AFL team was flying and their VFL team was flying. So to do it consistently, we've only missed the finals here once in 12 completed seasons. So I think yeah. that's a credit to all the players that have been part of Port Melbourne for a long, long time. And we hopefully can continue to do it again, and we'll just see how we to perform over that consistent period. But trying to get players to play consistently well, I think, is the coach's job. And um, thankfully, more often than not, the players have been wonderful in rewarding the coach with that type of play on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis
0: so yeah some some great highlights there at port and hopefully more to come, but even uh, your playing career there was more highlights. You had five flags in an incredible team, two Norm Smiths. I know the 89 grand finals regarded as one of the best of all time. but do you have a special moment throughout your career that stands out as a number one highlight We'll be back after a quick break. <laughs>
1: league football, I think, James, mm. as a young boy growing up in the country, you're tending to watch a lot of what you'd call idols and superstars on the TV. And at the uh, age of 17, I was lucky enough to walk into the Hawthorne Football Club as a skinny little kid. And, of course, mm. you're yeah, rubbing shoulders with Lee Matthews, eight-time best and theorist, Michael Tuckin, went on and played well over 400 games. Peter nice was a superstar. Calvin Moore, Don Scott. John Hendry, Alan Martello the list just goes on and on and on and then within a the short period of time I found myself playing senior footy and so that was a highlight to play your first game, remember it well, it was against Footscray in 1978 and ended up jagging three goals and then you sort of feel pretty happy with what you've been able to achieve but then you realise footy's a great leveler I then played the next week and then got dropped to the final so I didn't get back in until uh, 1979, but that was a wonderful achievement in itself because every kid dreams to play league footy and then 1983, playing the first uh, grand final, then going on and winning a premiership by a a fair margin and you get into a situation where you're wanting to win desperately but, of course, the game was probably well and truly put away by three-quarter time so then you can sit back and enjoy it and, I guess, revel in what the achievement is the sacrifices that you made, but did you think you were then going to go on and fight another seven grand finals? No, but that was in Hawthorne's DNA to be able to successfully, I guess, perform at a level, and the superstars that we had, we probably had, I guess, all Australians on every line. So it's hard to quantify just one, mm. and even even the grand final wins, James, they're, they're all for different reasons, yeah. whether it was... 83, as I said, your first 86 because we'd been beaten in back-to-back flags in 84, 85 by Essendon. Then, of course, we then lost to Carlton in 87. We won again in 88, and that was the catalyst for then going on and being the first team to win back-to-back. And then, of course, we are able to then come back in 91 after a pretty ordinary start, and a lot of us were getting older. Sucky was 38, Chrissy knew 31, I was 31. Chrissy Langford would have probably been around 28, 29. So uh, guys that had been playing for a while, Dipper retired, John Kennedy Jr. retired, Swabby retired. So, yeah, there was a fair bit of change. So, all those were just outstanding, I guess, achievements from a team that was held in on being the best that it could be at all times.
0: Mm. Yeah, you mentioned those guys as well, and the the, the Beridens, Tuck, Dunstall, Dipper, Matthews, Buckanara, Platten. Who was the most enjoyable to play alongside, and and what was that secret that made them so good? Like, how did you achieve that success? What was it about that group?
1: Look, James, I love playing with them all. Yeah. I loved every player that I was able to play with and, and the journey that I was on. I was, as I said, started as a 17-year-old kid and finished almost shy of 33, so it's 16 years. And I think the chemistry and the synergy and the camaraderie that the boys had and the nucleus of the team, that especially when Alan Jeans came, was starting to be moulded and we didn't make the finals under his first year. Actually, We didn't make the finals in 79, 80 and 81 and then he came to the club in 81 and you could just feel a real change and then 82, it started again as in growing and we made the prelim and then of course we had that run of um, uh, basically eight grand finals in nine years. So I think a lot of it was to do with Alan Jeans as well, but also to the personnel that we had. He then was able to take us all on a journey of improvement, confidence and talent, I guess, and then... We had other guys that we added, as you mentioned, guys like Johnny Platton, guys like Jason Dunsville, Darren Pritchard and then a bit later on the likes of, say, Andy Gowers, Tony Hall, Anthony Condon, Stephen Lawrence, guys like that that then came to the fore when we needed them in 1991 because they all showed significant improvements. So, yeah, I think it was the, just the camaraderie, the chemistry, the synergy and just the, the, on, the off-field stuff is always what everyone sees, but behind the scenes there was such a unity and a strength within the group. I think we would have been pretty hard to uh, have the opposition beat us at any stage, mate, and were mm-hmm. able to have that over a long period of time with many final series. I think we played in every final series mm-hmm. from 82 to 93, and then I think we made them again in 94, even though I wasn't there. So that's an enormous effort yeah. to do it year after year.
0: Unbelievable. Hey, just on Jamesy, uh, quickly, there was the, in the 89... 89- Eighty nine Grand Final. There was that famous speech, wasn't there? That was spoken about. Could you explain what that was to me?
1: Yeah, look, it was amazing. There. I think when you have a coach who walks in, there are some players, and and I was one of them that just stood tall when Alan Jeans arrived. He was the most influential football person on my career. He knew what to say, how to say it, and I just basically grew. I was only twenty when he came to the footy club, so you're still learning about what AFL football was, VFL football was about and he showed me the way, gave me the confidence, and I think that's an extremely important attribute from a coaching point of view. He has to give the players confidence and not take it away. And his man management was just amazing and how he spoke to the group he could inspire the boys and none more so that eighty nine half time it was a pretty hot game even though I think we might have been maybe five or six girls in front of half time probably should have been a bit further in front and he spoke about a story was about a young boy that had saved some money and he wanted to go to a shoe shop and buy a pair of shoes so him and his mother went along and when he got to the shop he asked his mother what should he do should he buy the cheap pair or should he buy the more expensive pair. And his mother basically said to him, "It's about paying the price, and if you buy the the dearer pair, it will last longer." And Alan was just firing this story off, and we thought he was just about ready to explode. He was getting that excited. We thought he might have even been having another brain aneurysm, to be honest. <laughs> and um, and he was, and he had this wonderful ability with his voice to raise and lower it, and of course. The more excited he got, the more his voice was raised, and he was imploring us to pay the price in this game, and we would basically be able to say that, one, we were the first team that ever won back-to-back flags, but also, two, this would be something that would be remembered forever, and it would basically last a lifetime, which clearly it has in a lot of instances. So it was about paying the price. I got quite emotional. I remember walking out of the change room with Dermot, and... Um, I had tears streaming down my cheek and I thought this, you know, the grand final and we knew definitely what was online. But if any of the boys were unsure about what we needed to do, they were very, very sure and clear with what Alan Jeans wanted. And, you know, we went on and were able to hang in there and hang tough and pay the price and won a wonderful grand final.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, you said he had a a huge influence on you as a player, but as a coach I'm sure as well. Um, Do you use that type of storytelling in your coaching now and did you do it through your time as an AFL coach?
1: definitely. There are philosophies and, I guess, life in general skills that Alan was able to give all of us at Hawthorne, and as we said, he made such an impact on all of us, and it was very, very sad when he ended up obviously passing away. He became a mentor for me from a coaching perspective as well, but his ability to tell stories about just the fundamentals of life. and make you understand what you needed to do and how you needed to do it. And being a representative of the Hawthorne Football Club, he used to talk about being an ambassador for the club. If you're going to be doing that, you need to put the blazer on. If you don't, take it off. Mm. And he talked about things like donating your dirty linen in public. So whatever was said within the organisation needed to stay within the organisation. he used to get very, very angry, if anything had sort of leaked out to the general media because I don't think he personally had a lot of time for the media. Mm -hmm. And to be humble in victory, and he was uh, quite funny at different times as well. He had a a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, personality behind the four walls of the Hawthorne Footy Club, and we just all loved him. So, yeah, he was an absolute inspiration for so many of us, and I know... So many of us were asked about him when he passed away. And I think to a man, everyone was just so, I guess, delighted to have been part of his time at Hawthorne. But also, too, we just owed him so much for what he was able to do with us as footballers, but more importantly, as people and as human beings. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Another man who had an influence was obviously Malcolm Blight. So you took over at – well, first you you're an assistant under him, but you took over as senior coach in 95. You made the grand final in your first year. You are only 34, I think, at the time as a senior coach and you're coaching a strong side that has Gary Ablett senior as well. How did you go as a young coach straight away and to coach be in charge of a superstar like Ablett?
1: Made a lot of mistakes, James. I can tell you that, that <laughs> a rookie coach would, uh, would do because you think you know a little bit yeah. about footy, but – once you step away from the playing and then you become a coach, it's just all-encompassing. You've got to yeah. be understanding of your list and what the individual characteristics are. You can't coach them all the same, and that takes a little bit of learning. And then you've got the pressure of obviously competing against at the time coaches like a, an experienced David Park and a Mick Malthouse, yeah. a Kevin Sheedy. And Melton was, was wonderful for me personally. He was great to talk to about football, he was very different to uh, David Park and Alan Jeans and Alan Joyce, who were the coaches that I'd obviously had in my 16 years at Hawthorne. And I tell you what, he gave me one terrific piece of advice when I first started coaching the reserves, Mm. and I just stepped straight out of football and the Geelong reserves. After seven games, we'd actually lost all seven games. So I said to him, can I have a chat to you? Mm. He said, yeah, sure. And I asked him, How do you think I'm coaching? And he said to me straight back, How do you think you're coaching? I said, Well <laughs> results wise we're going terrible. Yeah. He goes, No, how do you think you're coaching? So I had a, a real thought about it and I came back with the the reply that I was actually coaching all the players as if they were clones of me and I'd stepped out of VfL AFL footy after sixteen mm-hmm. years. So yeah. I got back to coaching the individual strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, we won the next eight in a row Mm -hmm. and finished the season uh, at 11 wins and 11 losses and just missed out on the final. So that was a wonderful piece of advice. Coaching a Gary Ablett, you had to take whatever he was going to give you because it was all encompassing with how he trained, when he trained, and then how he performed on match day and he was a superstar, there's no doubt about that. He could turn games single-handedly and there's not that many players that play that you could genuinely say that about then. Uh, he had some different philosophies, I guess, on how he thinks football should be played and how his preparation was based around that. And that's okay because there are individuals. But I think he kicked 125 goals in his first year with me under yes. uh, in 1995 and um, then the next year he sort of ran into a bit of a nasty suspension. He's got five weeks for um, hitting a young bloke by the name of Christian Bargley from St Kilda, and I reckon from that point on he, he sort of battled a bit and then he retired uh, early 1997 from memory.
0: Mm. Hey, does ninety-seven still bug you at all? I mean, you're probably you're the best you're the best side in it. And if that if that mark to Lee Colbert was paid, I reckon you'd win the game. Do you still think about
1: it? Oh, James, thanks for bringing it up, mate. (laughs) Sorry, mate. uh, (laughs) uh, No, you're right. I couldn't believe that. I thought Lee Colbert, one of the most courageous young men I've had the pleasure of coaching, went on to become captain. And unfortunately only captain in a practice game because he uh, tore his ACL mm. in 1999. And it was a little bit of a philosophical and generational change for Lee to captain the club, but it never turned out that way. And yes, I still have nightmares all these years later, mate. I can tell you it was something that as the umpiring has evolved, then other umpires will now potentially call a umpiring infringement or yep. free kick whatever you want to call it and back in those days they didn't so the umpire clearly didn't see it or who knows i've never ever discussed it with the umpiring charge mm. but i think at the time we were in front lee was probably 30 meters out directly in front and we had all the momentum and playing really really well and then they got a couple of things that, um, yeah, by virtue of a little bit of luck, et cetera. But, again, you've got to cop it. And uh, Adelaide went on among the premiership. So, yeah, that was a really tough um, a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think about it at times, as you said, we finished equal top on percentage. Yeah. Uh, we, because of that, we finished second. And then I think we hit North Melbourne on a Sunday night, on a miserable night. Wayne Terrier kicked six or seven goals and, uh, we scored, I think, nine goals, and they scored 11. And then yeah, we had to go out to Adelaide because that was the quirkiness of the draw too, as far as the finals fixture. Yeah. And um, yeah, but anyway, it wasn't to be, mate. So. Um You've got to be there to win
0: it, that's for sure. That's it. And then you end up coaching Adelaide, obviously, from 2000, 2004. You make the finals in three consecutive seasons, including that prelim against the Pies. You had a win record of better than 50%, and then you do get that phone call, I think, in 2004. <laughs> to say, you know, I've heard you say, though, Gary, that you said you weren't shocked, but can you explain why you weren't shocked? Because I think a lot of people yeah. were. Yeah,
1: look, it was an interesting build-up. We had had some injury issues early days. We weren't getting our best players on the park. And even though we're reasonably competitive, it was just a feeling that I had amongst, I guess, time spent at the football club that the board, and it's fine, they've got to make a decision and that's their role, that I, I had a gut feeling that I wouldn't be reappointed. And it would be a case of whatever would happen, whether you would see the year out or not. And then obviously we weren't winning games as we would like. We were being beaten, not by a lot. I know we got beaten pretty easy round one, but the games that we then played in were reasonably competitive. We had a, a bad loss against uh, Carlton when uh, Favola kicked an unbelievable goal from mm. the boundary line and we were in front and should have won, but again, we didn't. And there were issues there, and then we actually came out and beat Footscray in my last game by August and Bulldogs by about six goals, I think yeah, it yeah. was from memory. And um, I just had this feeling after that loss that something was going to potentially be up because we had the mid season bye, and mm-hmm. I got the phone call going to work on the Monday morning because I was doing some mid season interviews. and the CEO said he needed to catch up with me beforehand, which is fine. And I thought, well, that was unusual. So mm. he walked into his office and it was a pretty short meeting. It was only about 10, 15 minutes. And he said that um, you are not being offered a continuation of your contract. And we don't think you can take the, the club any further. And we would basically like to see you, see the year out and... I maybe my mind up that that wouldn't be doable for my end. It wouldn't be healthy for the club. So they appointed Neil Craig not too long after.
0: Yeah. Geez. It would have been tough as well. Obviously you're in another state and I had—I think you had the media camped outside your house. How, how, hard, <laughs> how hard is that to deal with, especially like for your family as well? It must have been horrible.
1: Yeah, look, it, it was interesting because there'd been a build-up, obviously, throughout the course of that season about my tenure there and I understand the media have a job to do and sometimes it is an absolute, um, what would I say, uh, um, there's disregard for yeah other people mm. within your family structure and they are wanting one thing, which is obviously a comment, and secondly for you to be uh, cut from the Adelaide Football Club. And again, I get all that, but I think these things at times are fairly personal and I didn't actually make um, a press conference or go to the presser because, again, my decision was not because I think, well, in most instances, it ends up being the coach sits there and, of course, the CEO or whoever's doing the presser, and, of course, they're making it out that everything's all hunky-dory. Well, it's not, and I didn't want to be a part of that, so... Uh, I made the decision not to rightly or wrongly, and that was something that I felt quite strongly about. But again, the media are only chasing one thing, and as I said, that's a comment, and that's their job but, yeah, after a couple of days it, it's certainly quietened down, but they were camped out the front, ringing the doorbell, hiding in trees and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. so um yeah, but again, that's their role uh, that's what they've got to do. so uh, at the end of those couple of days, yeah, I end up jumping in a car and driving back to mm-hmm. Melbourne and there were requests to do media things, and I did some and didn't do others. And again, what's it been now? Um, yeah, 17 years ago. Yeah. So it's a long time, James. <laughs> it is a long a time. time. But that is part and parcel of the coaching, and that's a winning taper yeah. as we know. And if you don't win, then uh, you're more than likely not going to have a job.
0: Mm. Hey, speaking of the media, you did some work as well. I think you did Fox footy, you did a bit. Um, you did some some media work covering the game. But then you asked you were asked by Kevin Sheedy to come in as assistant. What would you say is the biggest lesson you learned during that time? Because you said it was very, uh, it was a great experience, very influential on you. What was the biggest lesson learned under, under Sheeds?
1: Yeah, and the media was – I enjoyed it from the point of view of having an opportunity to try things and potentially have a discussion about – footy, which is what I love, and obviously having an opportunity to to watch other teams' live, So Mm -hmm. I actually did enjoy it. I had uh, 12 only months of it, I think, from memory, and Fox Was great to work with and uh, did a lot of work with Jason Bennett, Kevin Bartlett, uh, guys like Matty Campbell, etc. Clinton Gribas, who was there at the time, Um, so Jim Wilson. So, yeah, there were some pretty experienced guys in the media. And then Kevin out of the blue gave me a call and said that he was looking for an assistant coach and I thought, geez, this would be a wonderful opportunity Mm. to be part of some organisation and a a successful coach in Kevin who'd been doing it for 26 or 27 years, something like that. And you very rarely get the opportunity to work with the great coaches because in some instances you're certainly coaching against them. So. I was a line coach defensively. I had the ability to work with the young defenders. And I really enjoyed the role for the two years that I was there. And it gave me a lot of confidence because coaching is a bit like playing. You can lose your confidence from at different times. So the things I was able to learn from Kevin, how he went about his match day stuff, how he went about his meetings, how he went about his training, what he did during the week and Yeah, it was great. It was interesting. Some of the things Kevin did were similar to what I'd been doing Mm -hmm. and they were working. Others he did and maybe I had a little bit more of awareness or or, or what would I say, um, understanding ability. Maybe I could have been a bit better in that regard. So, yeah, I thought it was a great learning curve for me and I took a a lot of that into my time at Port Melbourne as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, last one for you, Gary. Uh, a lot of people hold the belief, including myself, that it, it's really hard to understand why you never returned back to AFL footy in a senior coaching role. Or like someone with your credentials, your experience, the you know the ability you have to get the best out of any group of players, as you showed at Port Melbourne. Why did it never eventuate?
1: I think when you look back, obviously Geelong we were good enough to make a grand final, and then just really get beaten by a powerhouse Carlton that only lost two games that year and then went to Adelaide and didn't make a grand final and I probably felt that when you've had a couple of attempts at it, you then become yesterday's news, so to speak, and you don't really become anyone of of any interest and I was finished at AFL level at uh, the age of 44, so now... If you think over the years, a lot of coaches are getting opportunities from probably 40, early 40s. So I was uh, doing it at 34 years of age, as you mentioned, James. Mm -hmm. So, And again, you can get tired with certain things. There was obviously I couldn't develop players, young players, that is. So again, there could be a combination of things and uh, clearly they felt I wasn't uh, worthy of an opportunity. but life. I've been given an opportunity at Port and I've just enjoyed it immensely. We've had the success individually. Players getting drafted, Robin Naha, Sammy Dwyer, Mm -hmm. Brodie Myrchek, Malcolm Lynch, Kieran Strawn, Callum Sinclair, then went from here to WA. Now he's up in Sydney, played over 100 games. So the two flags, players representing VFL State of Origin, Liston Trophy. So there's been a lot of really good good things that have happened and it's all obviously all the players the players are the ones that make the coaches not the other way around and I've just had a wonderful experience of not only football but life at the Port Melbourne Footy Club so as they say James, one door opens and another one closes so that's been my philosophy all the way through and obviously look at it from a, a uh, glass half full and try and look at it from a positive point of view I wouldn't have experienced these things if I was given an opportunity elsewhere.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Hey, before I let you go, with my guests, I normally do a very quick 10-fire question. So I'll ask you a question, you say the first thing that, that you think of. Is that all good?
1: Sure, James, no probs.
0: Right. All right, let's go. What's your favourite food? Chicken. Chicken. Favourite movie? Favourite movie? Gladiator. Gladiator Good uh, I know the answer To this one I'll ask you anyway, Which coach Had the biggest Influence on your Career
1: <laughs> Alan
0: <G>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh Most difficult Opponent to play Against Kenny Hunter Morning or Night person Morning yeah. Who was easier To coach Wayne Carey Or Gary Ablett
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wayne Carey If you could Coach any team In the AFL At the moment Who would it be Richmond. Good answer. What makes you angry? Mistake. <laughs> your favorite <laughs> your favorite
1: quote. Don't place any restrictions on how good you can or can't
0: be. Love it. Last one. Your favorite current AFL player? Dusty Martin. Yeah, Dusty Martin is mine too. Hey, Gary, what an absolute pleasure, mate, to have you on. I cannot honestly thank you enough. I wish you all the best of luck for the remainder of the VFL season. I will be there supporting you all the way, mate, supporting the borough. Uh, thanks again, mate. You're an absolute legend. Oh,
1: good on you, James. It's a pleasure, mate. You made it very easy today. So set <laughs> up the good work, mate.
0: <laughs> thank you, mate. I appreciate <laughs> it. We'll chat again soon. Yeah, good on you, James. Thanks
1: for your time, buddy. Oh, See boy. ya. See you, mate. Bye.